Welcome to Scooped Podcast, presented by Dig In Magazine, where you get the inside scoop on all things entertainment and culture. In the weeks ahead, we'll be taking you back to press conferences, panels, as well as movie premiere, filmmaker, and cast Q&A discussions from previous Sundance Film Festivals leading up to the upcoming Sundance Film Festival 2021. The seven-day Sundance Film Festival, which runs January 28th through February 3rd, 2021, will be offered digitally via a custom-designed online platform at festival.sundance.org and will occur alongside drive-ins, independent art houses, and a network of local community partnerships. I'm your host, Cindy Merrim, and I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Day One Press Conference for the 2016 Sundance Film Festival. Um, I'm Sean Means. I'm the movie critic for the Salt Lake Tribune. I'll be moderating today. Uh, we have with us here uh, John Cooper, uh, director of the Sundance Film Festival. Uh, Terry Putnam, executive director of the Sundance Institute. And actor, director, producer, and founder of Sundance Institute, Robert Redford. So how this is going to work is um, I'll ask a few questions and, and get the conversation started up here for a few minutes, um, and then we'll and then we'll start taking questions. And we have our two uh, mic runners who'll be bringing the mic to you uh, if you have questions. Um, and also, I'm, uh, the press folks want me to remind you that. Uh, have you look in the press packet? Uh, there's some trivia questions in the back. Uh, you want to have a little fun uh, after we're done. So, uh, starting out, first question. First question I want to sort of ask is, is just for generally, what are you most looking forward to um, out of the festival this year? The rap party. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think yeah. um, What I'm looking forward to, and I think I speak for all of us on this, um, is the audience response. What, what the takeaway is going to be for this festival? Because, you know, we come into it, nothing is predetermined. It's like a blank slate. So you don't know how it's all going to go, and you wait to see what the audience takes away at the end. And I think that's probably what, what interests me, aside from the fact that we're creating an opportunity, but the point of it all in the first place was to create an opportunity for new voices in film to have a place to speak. So it's what people take away that I'm curious about. I'll take it. I agree with that completely, but I'll also add, I think I'm excited about how many different forms are available for independent storytellers now and how that's reflected here at the festival, whether it's a feature-length film or documentary, a short film, episodic content, what we're seeing in VR. I think the palette for independent storytellers is just widening, and I love, I love seeing what happens. And you've actually seen everything, so you... I know, I'm looking forward to the handoff. <laughs> the handoff from what's been in my programmers, you know, I have an amazing staff. Um, we've been holding this thing for, it seems like, a year. It's only been a couple of months, but the handoff where it leaves us and goes into the atmosphere and it's with our audiences because that's the most exciting part about this festival is really that the, 
the audience, the energy that they bring to this whole event is, is what is exciting for us, how the films are going to play, and to talk about those films, because they're very diverse films, and I think it's going to be a really exciting year. It seems like there are a fair number of films that are very issue-driven and, and, and really pointing to major issues, and maybe because it's an election year, we're paying, we, we notice that sort of thing more. But what, I mean, what, are you, what are you looking at as far as what, what, what's going to guide the conversation going into you know, the, this election year? Well, the, the election, well, I don't know what's, what's in, the, in the festival in terms of politics. Cooper knows more about that. But quickly before we go on, I just want to say something about John, what he's up against. Because a lot of people aren't aware that from the time we first started this, the, the increase in applications has gone to 12,000. And that's a monster to deal with because you, you what's your criteria going to look like for how you choose the very few that can come in. So that's a lot of pressure on John, but a lot of people, and, and Trevor, and the, and the group that puts it together. A lot of people aren't aware of the pressure they're under. And I'd just like to bring that up to let people know that he's under an awful lot of pressure. On the and it doesn't show at all. Are you holding up? Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and the numbers, the numbers, like for every movie, for every, you know, the 120 films and you know, feature films in the festival this year, and for every one of those, there's like 35 that didn't get in, you know, based on the, based on the applications or based on the submissions. Just for features, and then for the shorts, it's even higher. You know, the funny thing is, the criteria really hasn't changed. It's, it's almost a boring answer in some way. We're still looking for. Uh, on new voices, we're looking for original ways to tell stories, we're looking for creativity that's changing across all the different platforms. So that's what we, that's what's always driven us. So that's the first guiding factor in selecting the films. But I mean, talking about it, sort of the issues that are coming up this year. Yeah. Yeah, there's, you know, we show the films that are on the filmmakers' minds, of course, uh, especially in the documentary realm. You know, a number of years ago, it was all about the financial crisis. I think we had four films in the festival back then. Now there's a lot that's permeating our whole reality. Guns in America, um, abortion, the chipping away of what is supposed to be legal in the abortion world. They have a wonderful doc on that. Um, and just, uh, you know, a lot of issues, but also there's a whole lot of documentaries here that aren't issue-driven as well. And what we really notice is the changing face of documentaries in general. The use of animation, the use of really clever reenactments, even the graphics that they're using to tell these stories is quite um, different, looks different, and it's built to be more engaging for the audience. So documentary filmmakers, I think, are thinking of theatrical. I think they're thinking of how to grab audiences and bring them in. No, I mean, I, I, I love what's happening in documentary. It feels like um, the sort of the form of documentary, certainly we see this in our documentary program as well. We just announced um, an art of nonfiction um, fellowship to sort of support documentary filmmakers that are, that are looking to sort of uh, explore the, the form, the cinematic form of documentary. Where can you push the boundaries of it? How can you tell a true story differently? And what does sometimes truth even mean in documentary? So. Now, how, I mean, the art of nonfiction uh, fellowships you just started, how's that different from the other forms of 
support you've already been given? Well, it's 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 just an expansion again of the of the type the type of documentaries that we can support. We have um, for ten years now had a doc in our documentary film program a granting fund that um, is supported by many foundations and other um, generous partners who. Uh, mostly grant towards documentaries that deal with contemporary social issues. So there are um, certain documentaries that are exploring the form with ver varying subjects that we wanted to have an opportunity to sort of carve out a fellowship for them. It's not about the granting, it's complementary to the granting. It allows us to give them a kind of a creative experience, a little bit like a lab, to sort of further the creative practice of their work in balance with the I'd like to say something about how documentaries came about. Um, in, in terms of a, plat of a platform to the festival. Um, on a personal level, I've always been a huge fan of documentaries, going all the way back to Neil D'Antonio, Peter Baker Leacock. I, I felt that, that those documentaries that I saw early on put you there, and that was exciting. It, you were there, you, you didn't know quite what was going to happen next. So years later, when we started Sundance, I felt that maybe if we could create a platform to elevate documentaries and see that they're much closer to narrative films, it would be a good thing if we could do it. And show and that use the festival as a platform to say we think documentaries are important. And so that happened in the late eight, uh, 1980s and early 1990s. We were able to have enough documentaries to have it be a substantial category that we could then create something called the House of Docs. So over the years, we've tried to increase our opinion about the value of documentaries by how we show them. I just wanted to make that point that there was very much a part of our planning in the beginning to take documentaries and use whatever Sundance was doing, if it survived, and elevate documentaries. There's lots of returning, there's lots of big filmmakers that are here that work in documentaries. A lot when you go to um, Herzog is here and Pennebaker and Spike Lee is bringing the Michael Jackson documentary. It's really, um, it's good to have that sort of like the, the, the seasoned and the new here at the festival. I think it's really exciting. What, I mean, what's the byplay between the, the veterans and the newcomers uh, when they're here? No, as far as, far, as, far as what, what, what do both sides get out of it when they're here? I, I think they get what everybody gets. I mean, as Sundance has built itself into a platform that's great for just launching these films and getting them that first step into that consciousness of, of audiences. But we, we, one of the new developments that came after, that was the doc premiere section, so we created a place for veteran filmmakers to come back. Liz Garbus is back with the, with the Anderson Cooper Gloria um, Vanderbilt, thank you. I always want to say Swanson, and I know that's wrong. Anderson Cooper's mother, Gloria Swanson. <laughs> that's just how my brain works. I'm sorry, I'm tired. That's a whole different movie, though. But... but you know, I think I, I wanted to just throw in, uh, in terms of the new filmmakers, I love what Cooper and Trevor and the team do. You know, out of the 123 features that are here, 49 of them are first-time filmmakers, and you know, of course, that leaves room for some of the more seasoned filmmakers. And we have a wonderful batch, not just in documentary this year, also in feature. But I think those, I think the community that forms between the new generation coming in and the experienced ones is one of the most special things about this 
place. Yeah, we had a, we had a FEPA orientation that we did for all the filmmakers of the New York area. Tenebaker was there, and all the filmmakers almost lined up to sit with him and talk to him. And, you know, it, was, it was sweet and a wonderful, the wonderful time, I think, for him and the filmmakers. Very cool. Very cool. Um, what, now, we talked about one of the issues, you know, type of issues, but one of the issues that's been overriding and sort of uh, uh, been the conversation where, where the movie industry is based right now is the issues of diversity in filmmaking. We've had the issues with the Oscar nominations that came out this last week, and and you know Spike Lee, as you mentioned his name, uh, talking about possibly not going to the going to the awards this year, and other other people saying the same thing. Um, from Sundance's standpoint, what what do you think as far as what I mean? Sundance does a lot as far as getting diverse voices out there. What can be done? What, what can you do uh, as the Sundance Institute to further that outside of the movie, the independent world? Well, diversity comes out of the word independence. I mean, basically, that's the principal word that we operate from. It's a word that I've operated from personally for most of my life, the, the value of the word independent. Um, and so, therefore, diversity comes out of it. It's an automatic thing. If you're if you're independent-minded, you're going to do things different from the common form. Then you're going to have more diverse products. So that's something I think that we're generally pretty proud of is how we how we show diversity in the festival because we think it's important because it's tied to the fundamental word of independent. So uh, diversity then it kind of speaks for itself in terms of the topic. So when we have these issues, as, as Cooper said. <coughs> When we have these issues like that come up, they, they, we don't bring them up. We just put a spotlight on the artists who bring them up. In other words, the artists are making films about what's on the public mind, what's on the public conversation. And because we're in support of the artists, we say, well, what do they, they come up with? So they come up with those diverse points of view. We just put the focus on the artists themselves. We, we don't personally take a position of advocacy in that sense. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you asked uh, about what Sundance can do maybe as an organization with a long-time commitment to diversity in our work. What, what can we do to contribute to the conversation that's going on right now in more mainstream entertainment? And I think, you know, it's a great question. I think the first you know, the first thing we want to do is make sure we're we're really looking at our own work and making sure we're reaching into the populations that we want to reach and, and servicing new storytellers from across the spectrum of our society, which I think we, we work pretty hard to do. And in terms of what we do as applies to the entertainment industry um, and, and where people get jobs afterwards, what we found is together with a lot of organizations like ours who... Um, whose job it is to support and find new storytellers, we do provide uh, a really great pipeline of talent into the mainstream. And you know, many of them choose to remain independent, and we love that, but some of them go and take other jobs in the mainstream. So I think we have a seat at that table in terms of providing a voice, constructive voice to the decision makers to say, Hey, take a look at this range of talent. Take a look at take a look at how we've been able to develop them, and you know, try to facilitate that handoff. So, hopefully, there's more opportunities to follow. I think for us at the festival, it's really at that outreach level, making sure that that anyone with a voice out there knows that there's 
a place here for them. If they, you know, they put in the work and they make a big film, that we're there for them. And also, we're doing a lot of work with the youth at the youth level. I think that's where the work kind of has to be done. So we have a program called Ignite, which is making sure that we have a young audience here at the festival, and it's grown now. So there's 300 youth that come to this festival between 18 and 25 years old that um, get to experience the festival, and we've saved a place for them, and we do lots of um, extracurricular activities for them to talk to young people in the industry, the young filmmakers come and talk to them, we do the high school program. So a lot of stuff we're doing to reach audiences at a younger stage so they can really build the future for us. Okay. And you, and you talked about, um, you talk about the people that come through here moving on to the next step. I mean, you know, there are great examples, like Ryan Coogler's doing Aiden Marvel Bernay, movie. Ryan Coogler, yeah. Uh, Ryan Coogler. Take, 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 take away, Titi's going to do a Marvel movie, you know. Um, but you, 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 had, you had a meeting uh, in uh, November, was it? Um, involving the Women in Film Initiative. Can you, can you talk a little bit about what sure, you Sure, it's an example of what I just said, which is we're not, we're not an advocacy organization. Our, our, our job is not to tell anyone in Hollywood what to do. But we have seen that there's a, for, from the perspective of what we do, we're interested in the artists that we work with, all of them having sustainable careers and getting their voices out there. So when we see um, barriers to that, which came through the research that we did about our own artists and their work, we felt like we had a story to tell about what some of those barriers were. So together with women in film who had been doing the work with us on the research around gender, we invited leaders in Hollywood, um, studio presidents, agency partners, guild presidents, to come together and just have a conversation about what we had found in our research, what we saw um, were some of the barriers and problems facing women in the industry, and tried to create a constructive space for them to be able to think themselves about how to tackle it. And what was so exciting was um, they were wel welcoming that opportunity to get together across what might have typically been competitive lines and have that conversation. And um, we felt like it was a really constructive start. We're not intending to lead that work. Um, that's not Sundance's main role. But we did feel like we had a story to tell and maybe had the ability to convene some of those people to get together with us. We want to put a spotlight on, on, on areas that weren't getting attention. And that's also been an objective of Sundance. For example, going all the way back to the early times, um, there was there weren't enough ethnic filmmaking to be shown. So we had Townsend come in, then we looked at for, for black American filmmakers, and we had women filmmakers that weren't getting enough attention, so we had to go off center, and we had um, Lisa Cholodenko. We had we started for a spotlight, huh? Rikert. I mean Rikert a whole a lot. So we picked out areas that were not getting enough attention or support, and we tried to focus through the lab program or the festival. Let's put a spotlight on this area. So last year, I think, we were talking about, well, what, what do we want to look forward to for this year? I think we mentioned women and young people. So as John just said, we move forward with trying to do whatever we can to give more support for young people in film. So that's Ignite. And women, you can just look at the work that's come through the festival. So you can see that we really do try to find areas that are not getting much support. And using the word diversity to push it, then we try to put it out there. We, we tried to do that from, from the beginning. Um, before I throw it over to, to, to everybody out here, I want to bring up one more thing, uh, which is you're celebrating the 10th anniversary of the New Frontier program. 
Um, you talked a little bit about new frontier and where. Can where I step into that one right quick? Oh, go for it. Yeah. Um, where that comes from is that years ago we had a guy that would we have somebody that works with us that would give us equipment because we couldn't afford. We were had a very little budget. He made a deal uh, with some. So they would give us equipment we would use for our lab projects, but then we had to return the equipment. So then the guy that was handling that decided, well, he wanted to support Sony. So we had a space on, on uh, Main Street here. It was just a room, and they would put the new equipment in the room for people to come and see it. And that was fine, except about the second or third year, it started to bother me because I would go in there and say, wait a minute, this is a dead zone. This is like a bunch of robots in a room. There's no life here. And I realized there was no life because we weren't putting the artists with the equipment. So I said, let's shift gears on this. Let's have New Frontier be something that's a real New Frontier. What happens when this new equipment is used by artists? What's the product? So New Frontier then moved from that point to showing the work that this equipment was producing with the artists. And then now, now we're in three locations on, on the mountain here. There's this big installation by Chris Milk as part of the new base camp. Um, there's in Gateway, there's a, a, where all the panels will be, and there'll be a VR lounge there. And then all those more uh, bigger art pieces. That, uh, we started trying, Shari Freelo is the chief curator of, of New Frontier. She's done an amazing job of, of going and almost infiltrating the art world and saying, look, if you're going to start using moving image, you need filmmakers to help tell stories. And so now that's become a real great partnership. And we're connecting people all the time. The technicians mixed with the storytelling. And we have some great programs that do that. But that's what you're seeing here. And the explosion of VR work is what is really, that's what this year is about. We just felt that it just kept coming and kept coming. And it's fascinating. I don't know how many people got the chance to do that, but. I was a slightly a little bit of a naysayer about it. So you start putting on that headset and going into these realities that are so moving a lot of the times. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with that. I think also what's cool about New Frontier is it's not, it's not about VR specifically, although this year that's a lot of what the program is. It's about where technology and story are meeting. It's always a kind of you know, uh, a little bit ahead, and so it's really fun to see what's next when you go there. I think. What happens when you have technology, we keep advancing, and to the point where technology is not so visible. For example, the, I love the new frontier. What I, my impulse was to not have to use that. You know, I would get to virtual reality without that. Well, we'll see if that comes about. I hope it does, because the more, I remember as a kid growing up, you had, um, 3D and you know, that kind of stuff. It just got in the way. It just got in the way of things. And then we got past that. So I'm looking forward to the time when we can take virtual reality to a, um, a new place that doesn't require assistance with stuff. Okay. So we'll start taking questions. And uh, me and Monica are have the mics, and we have one right over here first. <laughs> Welcome to Sundance. Glad to be back at Sundance in 2016. A uh, question for Robert Redford, uh, picking up on what Sean was saying about diversity. Um, you know the Academy really well, the Oscar Academy. I'm just wondering, Sundance is so good at embracing change that you think of uh, you know, like something like the, the Academy is so set in its ways. Can it embrace change, the kind of people it's talking about? Oh, I, I, I thought you were handing that off for her to talk. <laughs> 
Well, uh, first of all, and I'd like to straighten something out. There's a, there's a, there's always a tendency, it seems to me, to label things and to subjugate areas. And I want to make it clear that I'm not against the mainstream because I've been part of that, I'm very happily a part of that. A lot of the films that I've been involved with have been mainstream films. So this independent film idea that we came up with with Sundance was not meant to be against, like insurgents coming in from the mountains to attack the mainstream. It was meant to broaden the category, that's all. It was just meant to broaden the category. But somehow that got mislaid along the way of me being against the mainstream. I'm not. And so I think it's important to make that point that we're not against the mainstream. We, we try to use independent film to expand the category, so it's a fuller picture, and therefore audiences have more options, they have more choices to make, rather than just being the mainstream. So having the, sun, the, the festival up here is just as much a two-way street for audiences as it was for artists. In other words, we want to create a path for artists to have a place to show their work, okay? So it never occurred to me that we would be creating a second street of opportunity for audiences, because when people came up here, my first thought was I wasn't sure that the thing was going to work at all. In fact, I assumed it wouldn't. But what happened when more and more people came, I realized that audiences were coming up here, of all places, I mean Utah, were coming up here to see stuff they couldn't see in the, in the marketplace. And that's when I realized that we were just really creating an opportunity to, see, to have more, more uh, viewership. And sometimes that got mis misunderstood. I just wanted to make that, that clear. I'm just wondering if uh, Sundance can sort of embrace and change and accepting the world. But do you think the Oscar Academy can do the same thing? Why are you asking? I'm not into Oscars. I'm not into that. I'm not I hope for them they can. A question on this side? Oh, right here. First, I want to thank Mr. Redford for making truth. My question has to do with virtual reality and what is happening here at Sundance. The virtual reality experience is a very individualized one. It's a very individualized one at this point. The, the historical theatrical participation was a collective experience. And the digital distribution is a home-based experience. What does that do to your concept of what the power of film and the power of storytelling, and what does that say about the potential future audience? Well, um, forgive me, I didn't quite understand that it was sort of muffled from Ta here. Talking about the difference between a film which has an audience of hundreds versus um, a, home, a home experience, which is just your family, versus VR, which is a one-on-one -on -one thing. Well, I believe, first of all, I guess that takes me back to a more fundamental feeling. Uh, one of the reasons that we have different parts of Sundance that have expanded from the original point, one of them is the Sundance cinemas, and I think they're in seven cities. And the idea was when I was a kid growing up in Los Angeles, we, we were in a poor working class neighborhood, and the only thing you had was a movie every Saturday night. So we would walk to the theater, but you would see two features, you would see a couple of cartoons, you would see a Pete Smith short, you would see a newsreel from Pathé of the war going on in the front that involved your own relatives. So that's what you got. And then as time went on, I realized that, that was tricky. And when I got to the point where I was making film, and I had to preview films in, in 
different places, I realized you'd have trailers that were blasting your ears off, five or six trailers preceding an actual film, but none of the other. And I thought, well, why can't we bring that back? Why can't we bring that experience back? Along with it, as films were getting smaller, moving into the home with TV and so forth, now you have your, your palm-sized screen. I guess I'm old-fashioned enough to believe that it will always be important for people to go into a movie house in the dark, collectively, with each other, and see a movie on a big screen. I will always believe that's important, and I still do. So whatever the technology drives us to is smaller and smaller and quicker and quicker and quicker, I will always believe that you can't really replace the value of gathering in a community space in the dark on a big screen and being transported, if, if you are. I still think there's room for both. I mean, there just has to be. And, and the intimacy of that one-on-one experience is the power of that medium. And the power of film, being in a group, that is the power of that. And I think they're both important. And we still think audiences for independent film, I think, are still growing. Um, and I think that they're excited and they're looking for new and different ways of telling a story which connects Everything we do at Sundance on this one piece. Okay, I wanted to clarify one thing. I'm, I'm worried about what's going to come out on that Oscar thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can just see that. I don't like Oscar. Uh, you know, that's for Donald Trump to say, but, but uh, I, what I mean is that I'm not focused on that part. To me, it's about the work. And whatever comes from that, whatever reward comes from that, that's great, but I don't. I don't think about it, because there's nothing more important or exciting to me than the work when you're doing it. So once that work is done, I kind of back off. Whatever comes from that is fine. It's just nothing that occupies my thinking. Okay. Hi, um, I'm Ashley Jewish from KSL. My question's for Mr. Redford. Um, we all know you came to Utah after making movies here, but what's kept you here all these years, and more importantly, What's kept the festival here all these years? Missionaries. What's kept me here? Well, I came here originally because of the beauty of the land. I came here because the place that I grew up in was falling into the sea with development. Los Angeles was going the way of all flesh. It was skyscrapers and freeways. And was no longer the city that I once loved as a kid. So I moved further inland, came into the mountains. And so I came to Utah, and that, that was fine. But then Utah's doing what everybody else is doing, is developing like crazy. So the idea was, well, what? why not bring a festival here? Because it's weird. And just make it weird. Make it different. And bring it to Utah and put it in the middle of winter. Maybe some people like to ski, wouldn't that be fun? You could ski and watch movies. And we wanted to keep things weird. That's why we hired John Cooper. Uh, we wanted to keep things offbeat. And so we still do, because I think it's just more interesting uh, to make it a little bit offbeat. You can use the word weird if you want. But to me, that's why I came here, because I thought it was different. It was offbeat. It wouldn't be the place you would expect a festival to come. And so I'm, I'm perfectly happy that it's grown here. I'll just say the city of Park City has been also just a great partner for us in putting on this event. And uh, I think I think the fans, you know, the audiences that come out to the festival every year, 
wouldn't have it any other way if it, if it wasn't quite in the mountains, in the snow, with all the challenges that that presents. And we're forming community, and, and community is tricky. You do have to work at it. It's um, by being in a place where it can happen. And so this is a destination festival. People come here, and I like that because they, they get away from their jobs, they get away from all that other stuff, and just watch movies all day. And that is the community that is magic here. Park City is part of that, the beauty of the place, and you know the the like I, I, I second what Carrie says. The city has been amazing to us, and we have a whole um, the Utah Advisory Board that's here helps us with that, and they're an amazing group of people. And they like to party, just <laughs> those Utah people. <laughs> they also got a good chunk of the festival down in Salt Lake City. Yeah, absolutely. Here, um, sun, uh, down in Salt Lake, in Ogden, and it's a Sundance Resort, so we've expanded that one. Those are, year after year, the biggest surprise from all the filmmakers when we do sort of a survey is how amazing those screenings were. It's every, every filmmaker's favorite screen was in one of those places. Hi, uh, my question is for Mr. Director. How are you doing? Uh, brand new being here, and I'm curious to um, get your opinion on the value of mentorship for young filmmakers. We came here as a group of 2,400 grads from UC Berkeley to cover the festival and uh, get advice and, and learn and be on the path of self-discovery. What advice would you give to um, students, high school or college, um, to kind of like break down the barriers and increase access to um, getting into the industry? Well, I understand the question. Uh, what advice would I give to young, like students that want to get into the... So basically, yeah. Like I went through the Sundance Screenwriters Lab and I found it to be an incredible experience that changed my life. And I've come to the festival twice now, and there's, it's not pretentious. There's, there's, it's just you can talk to anybody, and um, it's great. So how, how do you harness that? I mean, how do people? Well, I tell you, I, I'm not. I, I guess film schools have become important. They didn't exist when I was starting out. Um, maybe SC, but now they become more prominent. There's film schools all over the place. I'm not sure that that's the answer as much as experience, as much as getting out in the world and seeing what's going on by first-hand experience. Take, make an adventure for yourself. Hit the road. Don't go from school to school to film school and then make a movie. You can. But you're going to be relying on what you saw. You're going to be relying on the effects that that filmmaker did, you know, whether, whoever it is. Oh, they, they created this thing with a camera. They did this thing with it. So I want to do that. To me, what's more important, if you want to tell a story, and you want to own the story you're telling. Get out in the world, hit the road, and have some real life experience that's going to feed your mind. And then you'll come back and say, God, I just went through this. I, I, want to, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about it. It took me a while to realize that the country I grew up in was really about winning. Everything mattered. And I was told as a kid, because uh, I was active in sports, and the word you got was, it doesn't matter whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. I said, I thought that was a lie. <laughs> Everything mattered. And I thought, okay, I want that to be a subject of the work I do, that winning is everything. So I would say that that, that came from my own personal experience of getting out of the world. 
Okay, we have a question here. Hang on a second. Oh, there we go. Thank you, uh, Rob Reynolds from Algae Zero English. Uh, Mr. Redford, I'd like you to just very broadly, if you would, give us your sort of State of the Union uh, comments on the state of independent film and also the film industry in general. Any trends that you really like or any trends that uh, disturb you or, or you think are regrettable? Thanks. Wow, that is a broad category. Um, the film, uh, mainstream and independent film. Um, I think we're starting with independent film, it's tough. Uh, it's always been tough. It's always been tough for independent film. But it's not exclusive. The, the tough stuff, I don't think, is exclusive to independent film because I think it applies to the film industry in general. I think it's tough for film in general um, because there have been threats, mostly in distribution. There have been threats that have come along that take away from what used to be a very simple equation. So you've got streaming, you've got online, you've got all kinds of new distribution, you've got Netflix, you've got HBO, you've got all these other areas out there that didn't exist way back. And so as a result, it kind of it kind of bleeds away from film. Film, film is, is not in a good place. Uh, independent film is not in a good place, but it never has been. It's always been tough. It survives because it has value, but it's always been tough. I mean, for independent filmmakers to get funding, it's never been easy. Um, money is always at the bottom of the, of the concern, and so therefore, mainstream, same thing. I mean, mainstream film, same thing. So, money's at the core, and changing times are at the core, and also other threats, like I was saying, that didn't exist before, online, streaming, so forth and so on. So I think it's always changing. The game is always changing. As it changes, what remains is it's always tough for film. I know you didn't ask me, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Uh, but since after seeing all the whole line of film coming at it from a slightly different place, we are really in such a place of evolution of our of the independent film community, the, the the quality of work, the deepness of story, the use of craft, especially writing, permeates this whole program. Um, and that's what I feel from that. And then now on the other side, the industry is also evolving so fast and almost differently to kind of catch up with each other. I think they're almost in maybe a little more chaos than our filmmakers are because our filmmakers know what they're doing. They know what to do that's good. But I think we're at this kind of wonderful place where independent film, as it continues to evolve, we're at this place where it's, it's noticeable and you can feel it in all the work that we're showing at the festival. You know, the other thing about... Um this this idea of your independent film or main, mainstream film. Technology has, has driven things um, quite a lot. Um, it's made special effects more possible, CGI and things like that. And so a lot of the filmmaker, what, what for me is I watch all these transitions occur and I watch change coming and, and coming along. To me, the most important thing is the story. And storytelling is what it should be about. And so where is the story? When I see some films which I admire enormously in terms of the razzle-dazzle, the way the cameras used, the way special effects are used, because I understand that young people respond to that because you can create all these wonderful, exciting images. But where's the story? In other words, to me, that's essential. What is the story you want to tell? And I think sometimes people get so carried away with the ability to use technology to spin things and create excitement 
that they lose the story or, or they don't focus on, on the story. It's just something that I think maybe it's old-fashioned, um, maybe it's antiquated, but for me, story is essential. So at Sundance in our labs, our labs receive the festival. The festival here is, is great. It's a place that we have at Park City to showcase. But that's not the core of what we do. The core of what we do is several miles from here, and it's about development. It's about what, what labs we have for filmmakers and, and documentary filmmakers and writers and actors, editors, production designers. Um, it's the work, it, it's the development that's, that's really, really important. And so when we do that, we put a lot of emphasis on our lab program for story. Before you even get going, before you want to get the camera to do this or that, what are you trying to tell us? What, what is the story you want to tell us? And move from there. Have one over here. It's a very common thing you are. Uh, so really back to that question about independence from earlier. Um, every year we hear about different film festivals cropping up in different cities around the world. And uh, even though Sundance is still here, you have a lot more company. So how would you go about sort of differentiating that concept of independence from you know this very cluttered marketplace of film festivals we're facing now? Um, asking about uh, with more festivals out there, uh, how does something stay the the what it is? I guess. I think I think Cooper, you should you should take that one because it's your your uh, your program. I think what we do and what we do well, and there's I think is all these festivals sort of have a different ilk or a different thing that they're trying to maybe do. A lot of them bring international films, a lot of them just are particularly documentary. I think us just staying with that notion, a simple one, of new voices has been you know, our trademark. That's why we have so many world premieres. That's why we have so many young filmmakers. So we are a, a discovery festival, and that's, that's what we do. We're a discovery institute as well. Um, I'd also add, I think it's great that festivals are cropping up everywhere. I think going to the question that was asked earlier about experiencing movies as a community, um, festivals in towns across America, I think there are, you know, I don't know how many there are, but a couple of thousand festivals if you count them all up. I actually think that speaks to people's desire to get together, see a movie together in a dark theater, and then talk about it afterwards. So, of course, Sundance, you know, retains its unique um, proposition in being about discovery and getting a chance to be the place where a lot of films world premiere. I'm sure you guys know what of the what, 123 features in the program, I think 103 of them are world premieres here. So that does set us apart a bit as a, you know, as a first-run festival. But I think the notion of a festival is a great way to preserve the, the cinema experience um, in the face of all these other technological changes. And, and when you talk about globally, I mean, Sundance has been doing its own work, London, Hong Kong, and so on. What, I mean, how does, how does that speak to expanding what Sundance is up to? Yeah, we noticed this particular, we have a very, very strong world cinema competition this year in particular. And that is coming from this notion that, that international filmmakers know what the platform of Sundance is. Where back in the day, we were this sort of distant thing for them. They know what it is, they know what they think that they can get out of it and what it can do for them. And then we're noticing that the, fest, that the films that we're seeing coming to us are different a little different from that sort of typical international festival fair. They're, they're have that same independent, independent spirit that the American films have. So we're seeing this sort of like almost uh, 
global independence, and we're feeling that on the films that we got this year. I might add to that a little bit uh, about where our focus on that comes from, because it was it was brought about by something that happened outside of our ability, and that's globalization. We were a domestic festival for quite a while, but that was it. That was our platform was strictly domestic. Then what happened when globalization came into the picture and and um, borders began to dissolve in places around the world, and certain films could come out of those places they couldn't before, we were able to bring them to our festival. And at that point, we created a, an additional platform of international films. So we could literally, by doing that, by bringing films from other countries to, that illustrated how they, what they were up against, what they were living with against, and so forth. It was almost like a cultural exchange that we were able to create, where we'd say, okay, we want our American audiences, whoever's watching us, to understand, rather than us trying to decide what other countries are doing, let them speak for themselves. So that increased our platform, which, which although, it's, as John says, it, it's I'm very happy about it, but it's all the more films that he has to deal with. I think just building on that, the idea of the exchange and sort of letting other countries know, you know, getting to hear from other countries what they're up to. The festivals in London and Hong Kong that Sundance has launched are a bit about that in the reverse, which is we have, you know, a, a great export from America coming from the studio films that go around the world, but too often the independent films from U.S. filmmakers don't get exposure in international territories. So for us to be able to, under the umbrella of Sundance, present a great program of films, bring the filmmakers there, introduce audiences to some great new artists, but also some perspectives of America that they may not have seen, I think that's another great value of it. And building audience for a different sort of American film in other places. And our audiences in those places are young, and they're kind of vibrant. Um, and we're changing our location in, in London this year to the new Picture House Central, which is kind of amazing, the cinema. But that's really, and in Hong Kong as well, that the youth that is coming to this, I think, is how I'm judging success of, of these projects. Okay. Good afternoon. My name is Carla. I'm from UBNRadio.com. And my question is along the lines of youth and streaming and technology. This year we saw a film, Beast of No Nation, stream on Netflix, and I believe it's an independent film, and I was just wondering how you guys feel about that, and if you think that will lead toward the future of independent film and film in general, that it will start streaming live on television, like television shows have done on Netflix. I'll take that one, and then uh, you want to add, you know, Carrie Fukunaga, who made Beast of No Nation, came through the Sundance Labs, and of course was here, I think, with Sinombre, right, a few years ago. Um, I think what what we feel, and I'll speak for some of the colleagues at Sundance, what we feel is, you know, filmmakers are here, they're telling their stories, and and in a way, we want to follow their lead in terms of how they want those stories experienced. We don't we don't uh, judge theatrical versus VOD, you know, what way it gets to audiences. Certainly, I think all of us up here would agree that the cinema experience is something very special, and, and Beast of No Nations did have a theatrical release concurrent with its Netflix release. So I think it's great that a movie like that can reach, you know, millions of people through Netflix, which has, you know, a global distribution um, with a click of a button, and I think it's great that people can go to the theater and see that movie um, because it is so cinematic as well. So we're, we're platform agnostic, I would say.